Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. The title of the message um, is Embracing God's Timeless Promise. Embracing God's Timeless Promise. You guys know that during this season that we're in, this season of uh, preparing our hearts for Christmas, it's a season uh, that we call Advent. Uh, it celebrates uh, uh, the coming of the Lord, right? That's what that word Advent means. And so this is the second week of Advent. And so these passages that were read today in Isaiah 40, Psalm 85, 2 Peter 3 and Mark chapter 1, uh, all of these passages kind of weave together um, a, a, a great theme and a series of themes for us today. Themes of divine comfort, themes of justice, themes of patience, and themes of preparation uh, as we wait for the coming of the Lord. And so that's what we want to focus on today is this idea of preparing our hearts for the Lord. And so I mentioned many times before, but as we think about uh, this season in the church calendar, right? As you look at kind of how the series of celebrations go, historically, this season would mark the beginning uh, of the church calendar, right? And so, as they would begin and everything would kind of start over, uh, it would focus on the coming of the Lord. And it's a beautiful way for us to be reminded uh, of the dynamics of our faith, right? That uh, as Christ came initially, uh, he is going to come again, right? So there's the Alpha and the Omega concept. There's the beginning and the end. And I'm reminded of the words that Paul spoke to the church in Colossae when he talked about Jesus. He said, He Himself is before all things, and all things are held together in Him. What that really means when you break down the language of what is being said there, when you get past all the different uh, translations, those words are literally saying to us that Paul was telling the believers in Colossae that everything began with Jesus, and everything ends with Jesus. Right? So when He's the author and finisher of our faith, when He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, it reminds us that everything starts with Him and everything ends with Him. And so it's fitting during this season that we celebrate His coming because we always recognize uh, that this is the time where we honor His birth and we celebrate the coming of our Savior. But historically, it was a purposeful event where people were preparing their hearts for the coming of the Lord. Because as much as He came... In his first advent, he told his disciples that he was going to go and prepare a place for them. And then if he went to go prepare a place for them, he was going to come back and return to be with them. And so that's what we want to think about today as we focus on these passages. So we're going to look at these four passages of Scripture that were read, and we're going to break them down today for a few moments. And so the first one we're going to look at is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. And in that series of verses, we see the prophetic vision of comfort and transformation. And this message of comfort is important. Now, for many of us, we think about comfort in different ways than, than probably the readers of Isaiah 40 would have uh, received this message of comfort. For us, comfort is like, you know, I, I feel like I, my, my day is a, a little difficult because uh, they got my order wrong at Starbucks when I was on the way to church or um, the outfit I, I went to, to wear today was wrinkled or the pants weren't all the way dry and and, you know, I wasn't able to get here in time to get 
enough sausage and that other person ate all the sausage and and I just wanted to be able to have more right and so it's just a tough day for me I'm just trying to to make it through um, that's not the hardship that we see uh, the prophet speaking of in chapter 40 what he's actually speaking to is he's speaking to a people that are burdened by exile and despair there are people that had been cast out of their homes they had been taken from their place of comfort, where they lived, where their families lived, where their businesses were, where their homes were, where all their stuff was. And they pulled it out. They were yanked out of it. They didn't have a choice to, to, to continue on. They were yanked out of it. And they were brought to another place. Probably didn't have a chance to grab any of their things. They were just ushered out. And so they were in a place of exile. And as a result of that, they were in despair. This word came to a people that were in that situation. And so the opening words that were given to them was, comfort, comfort my people. Those words would have been like a, a balm to the soul, like a salve, like a, an ointment, a healing statement to the soul. Because it promised something. It promised them that their trials are not unnoticed by God. Their trials are not unnoticed by God. You see, this comfort not just emotional solace, but it is a harbinger of transformation. Now, how many of you think today and, and wonder today, does God see your hardship and troubles? Does He see it? Does He know what's going on? Now, to individuals who were in exile and who had to cling to something, to hear the Word of the Lord that, hey, I see what you're going through. I know the struggles of your heart. I know exactly what you're dealing with. And I want you to know that it doesn't go unnoticed by me. And this world, if we look at it, is not really full of comfort, right? There are places in this world where people are going through hardships. People are struggling. Chaos abounds. And as much as our world is built on comfort, that's really the, the thing that our world uh, has without the most, right? People are uncomfortable. Now, we're trying to eliminate that by modern technology and by amenities and, and all the pleasures of life, but there are still places in the world where people are in hardship and in trouble. And so, as we think about it today, the Bible always gives us an opportunity to hear what is being said to those that were called and those who were the recipients of that original text, and then what is the application for us today? I think today we have an opportunity to answer those questions in our lives as we have received God's grace, as we have received God's favor, as we have received God's blessings in our lives. How are we to identify the places that need God's comfort? Where is it that God is revealing in our hearts that there is a place of turmoil, a place of hardship that needs God's comfort? Maybe in our lives, but also maybe in the world. What is it? I think we need to think about it for a second because if we think about this prophetic vision of God's grace and His love and His comfort and this transformation, it points us to a reality of how God views these truths. Because we see this landscape of transformation where this imagery is being described to us of mountains being made low and valleys being raised up. And what is that revealing to us? It's speaking to us 
of a radical reshaping of the physical and spiritual landscapes. Now this is metaphorical in the sense that it's connecting to something important in this dynamic. It's connecting to social and spiritual upheaval where injustices are uprooted and equity is established. Now do you think that God wants everyone to be free from suffering? Absolutely, right? The Bible says He loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die for them. Right? He loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die for them. Think about that for a second. He wants all the injustices of this world to be uprooted. But we know that injustices abound. You can still see it all over the world where people are full of of hardships and struggles and and it's overwhelming in our lives sometimes to think about it. Where we see them all over the news and we see them all over the world where people are struggling and hardships are abounding. But the heart of God, and that's what this prophecy was revealing, the heart of God was to uproot all the injustices, to take everything, all the imbalances of this life, and to bring it all on equal playing field. Now the beauty of that is that as you see that prophecy unfolding throughout the history of God's people, the truest expression of that in the Bible is when God poured out His Spirit on the church and then commissioned them to be His hands and feet and to go. Then you saw people from diverse backgrounds, from diverse cultures, from all over the world, going into their societies and improving them, making them better, creating equality between people. And there was equity amongst everybody. And it was everybody had everything in common. And they lived for God together. And they worshiped God together. The church has always been that truest expression of what this prophecy was revealing. Now, it's only a foreshadowing of what the kingdom of God will be when Jesus comes and establishes His throne on the earth. But the church has an incredible role in that because we have the privilege of bringing everything to level playing field. Right? All of us have the same problem. You know what our same problem is? We all need Jesus. Doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, or how much money you have, or what positions you hold, or what titles you carry. All of us have the same condition. We need salvation. And so that unites us. That unites us. And the church has always been designed to go into places of division and bring unity. To not ignore injustice, but to be there to to help combat it. To be there to lead people into paths of righteousness. And so that's what we see here. So how can we as individuals and a community in light of this, right? Because this is the reality. Injustices were abounding in this time of captivity. We see in our world today when groups come in and they take over areas or they try to, to occupy certain areas, there are heinous atrocities that are taking place. Human rights violations that you can't even describe without feeling like, I, I can't share this. This is too much. Can you imagine before the internet how bad that was? Before we had regimented uh, international rules of governance and, and things that would try to prevent these atrocities from happening. If you were a part of the Assyrian Empire, right? They used to celebrate all the atrocities they would do to people. Right? So to hear somebody say, listen, there's going to come a time where God's going to uproot all this injustice. And He's going to right all the wrongs. And He's going to bring everybody back to the living playing field. 
So how can we today, even with all of the modern advancements and attempts to try and make the world a better place, we know it's still broken because people still are fueled by their sinful desires. But how can we as individuals in a community participate in making straight paths for the Lord in our current situation? How can we do it? How can we make straight paths? Right, that was the prophecy. A voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the paths to God. Do you guys think God doesn't know where he's going? Do you think we have to spell it out for him because we don't understand where he's He's like, guys, I want to help you, but I don't know where I'm going. Can you make the path straight for me? I'm a little lost, right? You ever ask somebody for directions before? See, back in the day, I can say that because, you know, I'm starting to deal with the effects of when you do things that are not smart, your body starts to, to remind you longer that you shouldn't do that anymore. I'm not completely there. I'm fighting against it, but those things still happen. I told you guys the story the one time where James and I raced, and he's six, and and he, he gets upset because he can't beat me, but little does he know that I really have to run hard to beat him because he's fast for a six-year-old. And so one day we took off running, and it was the first time I had ran as hard as I could in a long time. Um, it's probably like pre-COVID, like burst. Like I took off like I was trying to, to turn a single into a double. But I hadn't ran like that in a long time. And so we took off, and by the time we got to our destination, he was crying, I was crying, because... I was like, oh my goodness, I, didn't know my, I, I, I don't like how that felt. Um, and that taught me some things, right, that my body's changing, right? So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be more wise about that, right? Um, and so we know that things go through transformation, but this idea of making straight paths is not because God doesn't know where he's going or uh, needs our help in that way. It's making straight paths so people can come to him, Right? So how do we make it straight? How do we make it plain for people to see it? How do we do it? I think that comes in us being active in preparing for the Lord. If you knew the Lord was going to come today, what preparations would you be making? If you knew that He was coming at a certain point, what preparations would you be made? So many people have tried to speculate on when He was going to come, and that's not, that's not at all what we're going to do today. The Bible says no one knows when He's going to come. But... We do know what he said. He said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming back. So we know that he will. And this season is all about us being focused on his coming. And so we're preparing ourselves. And so how do we prepare for the Lord? I think it starts with us thinking about our lives. Is there anything in our lives that we need to address? Are there things that we need to make right? And if there are, we need to make some changes. We need to make some adjustments. We need to make things right so that we don't prevent ourselves from not only preparing our hearts for the Lord, but being used of God to prepare others. You see, that's the thing about making the path straight is that it's not just about us preparing our hearts to receive the Lord, but us recognizing that we have a responsibility to go into the world and preach the gospel. To be a light in a dark world. Now oftentimes our light is what shines in people's faces so much that they run away. But here's the thing about the light of Christ. The light of Christ, although it is brighter than anything imaginable, so bright that when His glory resides on the earth, there won't be any need for the sun anymore. Can you imagine that the Bible says there won't be any need anymore for that. His glory will radiate. What a beautiful thing to think about. 
And right now, you and I aren't able to grasp that. And so that's why we need to trust Him and humble ourselves and let Him lead us and guide us in that way, right? So what does that mean for us? What does it mean to make a straight highway for our God, a path cleared of obstacles, a life ready to receive divine intervention? I think this imagery that we see of raised valleys and mountains being made low, it tells us something about God's view of justice and equity. That God sees those that are hurting. And God loved the world so much. Right? Think about that for a second. If we ourselves don't understand that, that God cares about every single person, and as a result of that, He's given us the opportunity to go into the world and be His hands and feet, then we miss out on what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is about. You know, I was thinking about that because uh, I was reading a story to our, to our children last night about Paul, and in the course of that, I, I mentioned the Roman Empire. And the kids uh, heard that, and they're like, Roman Empire, what's that like, America? And I said, prophetic, they didn't even know, right? I was like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't think, I don't, that's not like that. But it's kind of similar in the sense that America is an important country in the world, uh, and we have a lot, a lot of control over things that happen in the world. I was like, so it, before there was America, there were other empires that, that uh, ruled the, the world. And so I began to share with them all these different empires and, and how all that stuff uh, worked. And so um, they began to understand that. So as I was talking to them, I was telling them about the kingdom of God. And I was saying, you know, we're part of the kingdom of God, ultimately. And they're like, well, does the kingdom of God have an empire? I said, well, it does, but it's not of this world right now, right? So we're, we're, we're a part of the kingdom, but it's not built on you know, buildings and structures, right? It's built on the people who are connected to Jesus, right? As we are united to Him, we are united to each other through Him, right? In Him. And so that's the communion of saints the Bible talks about. And so I began to share with them the truth that one day Jesus is going to come and He's going to set up His throne on the earth physically and He's going to rule on the earth. Right now He's ruling in the universe. And He's given us the privilege to go to the world and to preach the gospel and to further the kingdom of God, to prepare the way for Him to come. Right? That's the kingdom of God. But it's much bigger than, than landmass and geography, right? Because if this building was destroyed, do you know what would happen? If this building was destroyed, people would meet somewhere else. That's the difference with the kingdom of God, right? When empires rise and fall, and as much as people have tried to squash the kingdom of God, you can't do it because it's not built on buildings or rulers and authorities. It's built on Jesus. And he's internally enthroned in heaven. No one can take him from his seat of power. He's been given that and been given the name above all names. And so when he gave us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we are a part of a kingdom that will never fade and never fall. But we have a responsibility to go and make preparations for the kingdom, right? And so that causes us to live in a way that maybe is contrary to what we maybe see with our eyes, right? So that would have made sense to those in exile. But think about Psalm 85. It's actually talking about a period of time that's past exile, right? So now they're out of exile and they're trying to figure out what to do next, right? So we see a psalmist's dream of restoration and peace. And what this reveals to us is divine faithfulness and love. This psalm recalls God's past blessings and pleads for God's restoration. If you think about all that God has done in our lives, we can recognize how faithful He's been to us. If you spend any time with the Lord and you've been with Him at all, you know how faithful He has been. And so it portrays a God who is just and compassionate, 
offering forgiveness and the promise of salvation. And because of these points and these truths, it has led many to believe that this is a post-exilic psalm that's written by the sons of Korah, right? The Korahites. Many of your Bibles might say that in the superscription. But what was important about that period of time? They were people that didn't have sovereignty over their own land. They didn't have control about their decisions. They were still a vassal state. They were still under the control of another empire, another kingdom. But they had to trust and believe that He was a God of peace, a God of salvation, a God that was going to bring restoration. That There was going to come a time where righteousness and peace were going to come together in such a harmonious way. That the imagery is used of righteousness and peace, kissing. That it's going to be such a harmonious time of peace. We don't see that today, so we know we're not there yet. But what this psalm was revealing to God's people is that there was going to come a time. So I want you guys to think about that. Reflect on a time where you experience God's forgiveness and restoration in your life. Think about it for a moment. When God restored you when you didn't deserve it. Where there was no reason why you were going to uh, get it, but God in His love and his, in His compassion, He gave it to you. That He showed you great love and He restored you. He redeemed you. When you think about that, and if you get a grasp on that, I think we can understand that that should transform our relationship with God. Right? When you think about all that He's done for you, how does that transform your relationship with Him? But more so, how does it transform our relationship with each other as well? If God has been so gracious to us, if He's forgiven us, how are we to live and operate? How are we to respond to that? Because the vision goes on about a vision of harmony. And so again, there's this imagery of righteousness and, and peace kissing each other. And it paints a picture of a, of a world under God's reign. This world where divine attributes are not in tension, but they're in a beautiful synergy. Have you guys ever done any like uh, lean Kaizen principle, Six Sigma training like to, to talk about processing, right? So I was in a class uh, about um, training on these Kaizen principles, right? And they were going through uh, Lean Six Sigma, and it's basically just a process-oriented way of identifying uh, things that slow down your process, right? So I was in this training, and they had this uh, kind of game that they did. It was like a lesson, an illustrative lesson, right? And I thought about doing it, but um, I want us to leave here in unity and not, not fight each other. So the point was to identify the weak links in the process, right? And so you basically had these Legos, and everybody had the same starting point, and you had all these Legos, and then there was this chart that would tell you where you put all these little pieces, right? And so there was somebody at each station of this process, right? There was somebody in the beginning, there were a couple of people in the middle, there was somebody at the end, and then there was somebody that was doing quality control. And so then we competed with each other to see how many we could produce in a period of time and then if you got to the end of that and you were missing something and it didn't look like the model you had to put it aside you couldn't send it back to fix it you had to just put it to the side it didn't count and so that identified where there was a gap in the process so what happened everybody had to focus on their individual task right to do what they were going to do you couldn't worry about what the person next to you was doing or the person over here you had to just focus on what you were doing and so at the end of that, we began to see how that worked, right? 
It's beautiful when things work great, isn't it? But it's difficult when things don't work great. And so music is one of those things I've always loved about music. When music is together, there's a a harmony to it, right? And when everything's playing together, it's beautiful. But you often know when you're not in harmony together. And so music invites us to, to, to attempt to bring things together, but it also is clear when it isn't working, right? The same thing is true of life, right? When everything's working together, it's beautiful. But when it doesn't, things get chaotic. And so this idea of synergy was this concept of all of these things coming together. Love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace. All that together in culmination. That sounds like a wonderful thing. All of it together. But what does that look like in our lives today? What does that even mean? What was the psalmist identifying that after the exile, there was going to come a time where all this was going to come together? There was going to be a convergent moment of all these truths. What does that remind us of? Or who does that remind us of? It reminds us of Jesus. He is the one that brings it all together. He's the Prince of Peace, right? He's the faithful one. He's the righteous King, right? He's the the one that is loving. And so as we fix our eyes on Him, He's the one that leads us where we need to go. But what version of Jesus are we holding on to today? I think that's an important question for us. Because Jesus is described in many ways, and so there are things that we can look at. And so do we connect more with the Jesus uh, who was whipping people and turning tables and throwing people out of the, of the temple? Or do we connect more with the Jesus that was weeping over Jerusalem and was willing to, to be sacrificed on a cross so that those that put him there, he could be an advocate for them. And he prayed prayers of advocacy while he was on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? Now we know there's going to come a time where he's going to come back and he's going to be the warrior king, right? So for some of you, are like, yeah, kill them all. They all got to die, right? That's not the dispensation we're in right now. <laughs> and we should be thankful for that because all of us have benefited from his grace. All of us were blind. All of us have gone astray. All of us have missed the mark. And so this concept of of Him bringing everything together should remind us of His incredible love, but don't mistake it. He is coming back to set up His rule and reign, and He will rule with an iron scepter. But right now is a dispensation of grace that we are in, and so you and I should not try and infuse into our interaction with each other this aspect of God that He's a judgmental... That's not our authority. Our authority is to to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. What is the Gospel? That Jesus saves, that Jesus loves, that Jesus is coming to bring peace and comfort and His faithfulness and love and righteousness will abound in our lives. There will come a time where the judgment is going to come. And so for those of you who are waiting for that day, when that day comes, you can say, Yes! But right now, he's calling us to do that. And that may be hard for people because we want to see results, right? But waiting can be difficult. How many of you have to wait for something and you're like, sweet? I love waiting. It's the best thing in the world. Waiting on things, right? Christmas is one of those times of waiting, right? You, even if, as an adult, you kind of know sometimes what, you, what you're going to get for Christmas. And you're like... Can I just have it now? I bought it. Right? 
And so I'm trying to be better at that the older I get because there came, there, if there was a short period of time in my dog life, I was like, if I bought it, I'm going to use it right now. Right? But that steals, it takes away that moment of opening a present and having people watch you open presents. And, and so I'm trying to be good and, and do that, right? But waiting is not fun. Right? And it's something as simple and temporary as a present. You know, we can get caught up on. But really the reality is, is for us who have been waiting on God to fulfill His promises in our lives and to fulfill His ultimate promise of coming back and restoring His throne and establishing it on the earth, waiting can be hard. Imagine somebody in exile or somebody in a post-exilic period saying, Lord, I know and I believe and I'm hoping for Your love and faithfulness for there to be a time where everything's going to be good again. But right now I don't see it and that's hard. It's hard because I don't understand what's going. So what is our role here? I believe our role is to understand how Jesus responded in this moment of trial. You know, Jesus is described in the Bible as being an advocate to the Father. That He's at the right hand of the Father and He makes intercession for you and I. That's how He's described. But that's not something that just started when He was enthroned in heaven. What do we see Him doing when He was on the cross? What do we see Him doing? Yeah, that's a good song, right? That's good. That's appropriate, right? Take me down to the paradise. Yeah, anyway, anyway. Not a different song. What's the song? Sorry. Let's bring it back together. <laughs> think about, when we think about this reality, right? What, 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 is, what is happening here in this moment? God is revealing that uh, this moment of trial in Jesus' life Jesus is worried about those that put him on the cross. Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? When he was in the garden, he was praying. He was praying for his disciples, knowing that they were going to deny him. They were going to betray him. They were going to scatter. See, he was acting sacrificially even before he was elevated and given that position. And I think that's important for us because that teaches us something about the way we should live our lives. Position never precedes influence. Right? Jesus was a leader, and Jesus, in his incarnation, changed the lives of people that engaged with him because Jesus wasn't about um, elevating himself. He actually came to humble himself. Think about that. For most of us, if we were in a position of trial like that and we were waiting for the Lord to, to do what he was going to do, but in order for him to accomplish his purposes, we had to go through some tough times. Some of us would be like, come on, God, can you hurry it up? Can you finish what you got to do so that I can get relief from my suffering? But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I, I could gladly take myself off this cross. No, one, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. Right? But while he was on the cross, enduring that suffering, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know what they do. I think Ephesians 2 reminds us that his elevation came through humility and sacrifice. And so, what does the meaning of love, faithfulness, righteousness, and peace look like in our lives? We need to be people who are willing to humble themselves and to, to love one another, to show the ultimate act of love, to lay down one's life for another. That's what Jesus did. And so, how do we realize our role in this? You see, the psalmist is not only celebrating God's attributes but he's calling the faithful to embody these virtues. He's saying, I don't, I don't want you just to believe it. 
I want you to actually embody these virtues. Don't just say, yeah, I know i got to live right, and i got to do what I'm supposed to do, but you need to embody these virtues. You need to walk this out. It's a call to live in a way that reflects God's justice, His truth, His love, and His peace. So how do we embody these qualities? How do we embody these in our interactions, in our approach to societal issues? Because we got issues in our society, don't we? we got issues all over the place in our society. How do we approach these issues? How do we approach our interactions with each other? We need to do so in a way that embodies God's justice, His truth, His love, and His peace. And we do that by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Right? What would Jesus do? Right? WWJD. Nothing. No rocket science there. What would Jesus do? Right? Again, well, Jesus would have flipped the tables and whipped people. Hey now, before you're willing to go in on somebody, you better be willing to weep and pray and ask God to, to minister to them. Right? So the person that you want to attack and you think needs to get what's coming to them, are you willing to pray for that person? I think that's where God wants our heart to be. That's the heart of Christ. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Open their eyes to see. Right? And so that gives us a glimpse at understanding God's patience and redemption. That's what 2 Peter tells us, right? We, we look at the nature of divine time. God's time is not like ours. He's not constrained by time like we are. And Peter is reminding that when he's saying, to God, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. And so he's saying to them, he's not slow in fulfilling his promise. He's not slow. He's patient not wanting anyone to perish. That's an important reality for us to think about because this perspective challenges our understanding of time and patience. Many of us think we're a patient people. But all of us have a threshold. Right? We're patient. But at some point we're like, all right, that's it. I've had enough. Right? Now you're going to get it. Right? I've been patient enough. But God is incredibly patient. But oftentimes I think we, we view his patience as apathy or his patience as a lack of authority or a lack of control and, and we get anxious because he doesn't work in our timetable. You ever had those thoughts? Maybe you've had conversations with the Lord by saying, God, come on. Like, when, when is it going to happen? You told me it was going to happen. When is it going to happen? Come on, God, come on. When, when is it going to happen? Can you please just Give it to me now. Please, Lord. Can I have it now? Please. I want it now. Lord, just give it to me now. Right? The whole time he's patiently waiting. Now, why is he patient? Well, Peter tells us he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So we need to begin to think about God's patience differently. We need to begin to think about his patience as allowing time for others to repent and allowing others to grow in their spiritual journey. Think about that. Jesus was on the cross. He could have said, okay, God, I, I think I'm good. Didn't I do what you told me to do? I came to do the Father's will. I'm on the cross. Let's wrap it up. No, he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them. Right? He was taking that moment to plead with the Father for those that put him there. Right? How often, I think, do we think about our trials and our troubles and then we, we go, well, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you were going to take this away without thinking that his patience is also allowing others to come to know Him. 
that if my heart is secure and my faith is secure in Christ and I have built my life on Him, then I should welcome the opportunity. If maybe my suffering would need to endure for a few more moments if it meant somebody would come to the Lord. What a powerful thing to think about. And so how does understanding God's perspective on time change our view of patience and waiting? Right? If His patience afforded us the opportunity to receive salvation, how much more should we understand, God, I know that you're faithful, and I know that you're going to work things out for my good and for your glory, but I also think that in this moment of trial, if I am to go through this, I know that you're going to use it as an opportunity to bring others to you. And so for that matter, I say, Lord, I will be whatever you need me to be. I will do whatever you call me to do. You see, that's the difference between living for him because of what he does for us and living for him because of who he is. You recognize that he's your savior and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You don't live because of the ancillary things that you get. And so we are to be people who live in expectation. This passage urges believers to live in holiness and godliness. Now that's difficult to be holy and godly when you're waiting on something. Right? For most of us, that's not when the best things come out of us. <laughs> right? We have to wait for something. But he says, in the waiting, I want you to live holy, godly lives. Actively anticipating the day of the Lord. It's a call to ethical and spiritual vigilance. Living in a way that, that elevates the coming of God. So in what ways are we called to live holy and godly lives? as we participate and anticipate the day of the Lord. I think Peter gives us that truth when he reminds us of that. He says, be at peace, right? 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, Therefore, dear friends, since you are waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into His presence. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our dear brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Now how are we to live at peace? It's not just about us being at peace with each other, but it's about us being at peace with God. Right? How are we to live in this moment of waiting, to be at peace that God is in control? To be at peace to know that the Lord is working, and so we are devoting our lives to him, but it's about us walking in peace with each other. Right? Jesus told his disciples that from this point on, people were going to know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another. And so this world is chaotic. This world is full of hurt and pain and injustice abounding. And we are called to be a light in the darkness. But we are also called to be people of peace who walk in the love of Christ, who exude His faithfulness. And people can see Him through our actions. So we're called to live holy and godly lives by walking in peace and being a people of peace. Because there's a promise of new creation. Peter speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. And he speaks of a promise that fuels the hope and motivates ethical living, right? That you know what? This world is crazy, but I can live differently because I know that there's going to come a time where the Lord's going to change everything. And so that encourages believers to invest in a future that is aligned with God's will. What are you working on today? Are you working towards a future that's aligned in God's will? Or are you allowing yourself to fall back into that, right? I want you to think about this. What does it mean for us to be found by Him without spot or blemish and to be at peace? Right? For many of us, when we look in the mirror, we're like, 
I see a lot of spots. I see a lot of blemishes. I see things that weren't there. Uh, now, they're, now they're here. I'm not comfortable with all this. Right? He's using imagery to describe when you would select a lamb. Right? It had to be one without spot or blemish. Right? If it had defects, then you couldn't use it for sacrifice. And so the imagery was used often about people coming. Now that's often let people to think that because of that, that we have something to do to make ourselves ready. But the reality is, is we can do nothing and make it righteous. <laughs> it's only through Christ that makes us righteous. So if we fix our eyes on Him, we clothe ourselves with Christ, He is the one that makes us righteous. He is the one that removes all of the stain of sin, removes all the hardship in our lives. And so this concept is important because in 2 Peter, this object of peace often goes beyond just the absence of conflict. It's, it's intentionality that we are to be people of peace who bring the peace of God to the world and to each other. And that's important because that's what John came to do. For just for a few moments, I want to share this with you, okay? We're finishing up. John's purpose in coming was in fulfillment of what we see in Isaiah chapter 40. And Mark's gospel identifies that. But there's overlap between these passages that are significant. This wilderness call of John is significant because it demonstrates the continuity between the Old Testament prophecies and their fulfillment in the New Testament. It connects both. And so John's ministry bridges the old and the new. He came to be a bridge so that people could come to Christ. He pointed people to Jesus. He was the one crying out, prepare the way for the Lord. And he did so with humility because he said, I'm unwilling to even untie his sandals. That's what he came to do. And so what did John do? He came to prepare the way. You and I, as we're to think about this in our lives, how are we to prepare the way for the Lord? We're to prepare our hearts, but we're also to prepare others as well. To make straight the path so that people could come to receive him. To come to know him. So how does John's message of preparation for Christ challenge us in our spiritual lives today? See, John offered a baptism of repentance. That baptism was not just ceremonial. It was to identify this physical reality of an inward grace, a spiritual grace that had been received, a sacrament, a mystery that had occurred where these individuals were going down and it was the old and they came up and it was the new. It's a beautiful imagery to think about. And so as we think about it today, as we're finishing up, what areas of our lives, what areas of our lives do we need to repent and make way for Christ's transformative work to happen in our lives? What do we need to let go of today? What do we need to, to remove today in our lives? Because Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm coming back so that you will be where I am. Right? So He is coming. This season is all about preparing our hearts for His coming. And when He comes, we know He's not going to be a little baby in a manger this time. But He's going to be the warrior king. He's going to establish His throne on the earth. Rule. And so let's prepare our hearts. Let's use this season to prepare our hearts for Him. And so how can we live like John? How can we be messengers of Christ in our communities? How can we be messengers of Christ in the world around us, in our families? John's goal was to point people to Jesus. How do we influence others for the cause of Christ?
The sad reality is, is that we will never get to a place in our lives where we, in ourselves, positively reflect the image of Christ. <laughs> Does that make sense? You will never get to a point in your life where people say, look at that person. They're great. They make me want to be like Jesus. You may think that, but all of us fall short of Christ. So how are we to show people Christ? Well, what did, Paul, what did, what did John say? I must decrease so that he will increase. We have to humble ourselves. And we have to point people to Jesus. Prepare our hearts. Prepare those as well. And so there's four things that I think we need to look at today. Um, it's the last slide, I think. Um, we need to embrace this concept that God has come to bring comfort to those who are hurting. And we have the opportunity to go and to share that. We need to seek justice, right? That's what the psalmist was saying. There's going to come a time where all this is going to come together. All the, everything's going to be an equal playing field. We shouldn't rejoice in the injustices of this world, but we should live in patient hope and we should prepare our hearts because we know that His Word is true and that He will fulfill what He said He will do. And so can we think about that for a moment? I'd like us to take just a couple of minutes today. And I'd like us to just focus our hearts on what God is speaking to us today. What is God saying to us today? And I want to pray with you. And then in the moment, we're going to give you a chance to, as we often do, just to greet one another before we prepare our hearts to receive communion today. So can we do that? Can you bow your, your heads with me and just, let's just take a moment or two to focus on what the Lord is saying to us. And let's ask Him to come into our lives and reveal the things in our hearts that we need to change. The things in our lives that we need to address. The things that are not bringing Him glory. The things that are not um, honoring to Him. Lord, we recognize that there have been things in our lives, Lord, there have been times where all of us have fallen short of Your moral standard, God. And Lord, we confess that we've sinned against You by the things we've said or the things we've not said, Lord, by the things we've done or the things we've left undone, Lord. We haven't loved You with our whole heart, Lord, and we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves at times. We haven't been gracious and we haven't been loving to those in our lives. Lord, we've not walked the way we should and so we're sorry, Lord, and we humbly repent today. And we ask, God, that for the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that You would continue to have mercy on us today. That You continue to open our eyes to see Your incredible love, to see that Your promise will be fulfilled, that Your truth will be established forever so lord help us today to trust you in the waiting to trust you in the trouble in the, in the hardship god to be patient in our expectation of your faith god and may we be comforted today by your words lord paul wrote to the believers in corinth and said god comforts us in our sorrow lord you comfort us in our sorrow so that we can comfort others in theirs you are with us in the trials, God. And so may we be comforted today that if we turn to You today, that You will give us rest. That You are an advocate for us to the Father. And that You came to bring life. Life more abundantly. 
We thank you today for that. May we have your peace today abound in our hearts today. And may we reflect that peace in everything we say and do. We love you, God. We thank you today for your presence that is with us and your word that is speaking to our hearts. May you bless us today, Lord, as we take a moment to just offer that peace to one another, God, and prepare our hearts to receive today. Amen. Can we do that today? Can we greet one another today just with a, a brief uh, word today? Uh, and then as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, can you greet one another today in the Lord? Amen. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that brings glory to God. So thank you guys. Take care.